Welcome to Research Recap, our research podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of Research Recap, we'll bring you the latest industry analysis and research insights from our team of award-winning experts. Welcome to Research Recap, the newest series on J.P. Morgan's Making Sense podcast channel. I am Mark Murphy, head of U.S. software equity research, and I have been with J.P. Morgan for nearly nine years. I am sitting here with Gokul Harahan, who is head of Taiwan research and co-head of Asia-Pacific Technology, Media, and Telecommunications Research. And Gokul has been with J.P. Morgan for about 19 years. We're very glad to be here to discuss the topic of generative AI or artificial intelligence, and that includes ChatGPT, but also many other products. So Gokul, with that, perhaps you can uh, start by giving us a quick overview of generative AI. Uh, What exactly is this technology and what exactly does it entail from your perspective? Thanks, Mark. Very happy to be on this podcast. So generative AI is a type of artificial intelligence that can create its own wide variety of new content. And this content can be text, images, software code, audio, video, 3D models, etc. It does this by learning on vast amounts of existing data and developing a high degree of predictive power by training itself on this existing data. Now, these AI algorithms are generally very large, having hundreds of billions of parameters, requiring very complex hardware, such as expensive AI GPUs or graphic processing units for training these algorithms. It can also get integrated into existing productivity tools, such as the Microsoft Office Suite, to enhance the productivity functionality. So generative AI basically deals with that sleeve of AI, which is generating its own new content. You're talking about text and images, software code, you mentioned video. There's a wide range of use cases here that are emerging. And as you mentioned, there are a number of companies involved in this. Can you perhaps share some popular examples of generative AI, maybe something that would help to make this a little more tangible for anyone who's not had exposure to it? Sure, Mark. I think AI really started to come into being back in 2012, 2013, when we started to have image recognition beating the human intelligence to some extent. But the current set of generative AI algorithms started to come into being with the advent of the Google AI models called Transformers which is a family of AI networks or neural networks. And since then, they have been advancing pretty fast. They've been widely adopted in the AI research field, focusing on large language AI models. The most famous of them at this point clearly is ChatGPT, which launched in November of 2022. But we also have other examples of generative AI, which deal with areas in imaging like mid-journey, stable diffusion, DALI. There are also numerous generative AI applications that are starting to be launched for software coding, audio generation, and we are starting to see some applications coming into the market for video generation. Recently, in the last couple of months, we've also seen large software companies launch productivity tools and co-pilots, which use generative AI as an additional tool to enhance productivity for a lot of their software suites. 
So Mark, given you cover Microsoft, which is emerging as one of the leading player in the space, can you tell us a little bit more about how Microsoft is integrating generative AI into its offerings? So I would say, first off, Microsoft should be commended for being very early to identify the importance of this trend of generative AI. They were meeting with OpenAI when it was very small, I believe about six or seven years ago. They made an investment in 2019 and another one earlier this year. And so it has led to early category leadership, we believe, for Microsoft. The biggest early breakthrough that we noticed, it was something called GitHub Copilot. We started hearing buzz about GitHub Copilot probably 18 months ago. We would speak with software developers. They would say, I just wrote code for eight hours and 40 to 50% of the code was actually generated by this product. So being written by GitHub Copilot rather than a human being. Next up was the integration of ChatGPT. You mentioned this, Google. It went into Microsoft search engine Bing. I'd say that had some fits and starts to it, but it is very powerful. That might start to change the perception of what internet search fundamentally should be. Coming up very soon, you also mentioned this, but it's, it's currently in private beta testing. We have the ChatGB technology, Microsoft brands that as co-pilot, like a virtual assistant, and they're putting that into Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Teams. My view is this technology is just incredibly powerful. It's evolving at light speed. It's doing things people would have said a year ago that it would be impossible because it's creating. And I think people are just not going to believe where it's heading. So I'm actually curious, Gokul, you know, from your point of view, what are the advantages you see on how generative AI can bring value to businesses and companies? And you know, if you start to think about the way that this technology can transform how we all work. I would say that we are still in the very early innings in terms of the evolution. I would think of it as maybe three or four steps in terms of the evolution. The first step of evolution, as you rightly pointed out, we are seeing productivity gains for various productivity suites, software, coding applications, etc. So AI primarily acting as a co-pilot to the user, aiding and assisting the user in various functions, creating summaries, meeting minutes, graphs, writing pieces of code, scheduling meetings, etc. I think that's probably the first step of evolution, which we're probably going to see over the next 12 to 18 months. The next step is on core content creation. I think the vast amount of content that is still available to us is still 95% human-generated content. But once generative AI really hits its stride, we will start to see a lot more AI-generated content coming into the market. And for quite some time, it will coexist with human-generated content. So content generators, whether it is in media, whether it is in enterprise or in other areas, can focus their precious uh, creative resources on the aspects where human-generated content can really differentiate, while generative AI can be used for less important or repetitive tasks. We'll probably also see some form of AI-generated content becoming truly differentiated as well, especially when it comes to areas like games and some of the media creation work that is being undertaken. We are seeing some of that happen in the advertising industry already. The third element that we're starting to see happen is also what I call as vertical-specific generative AI. So currently, most of the AI models 
are trained on generic internet data that has been basically taken from the wide swathe of data available in the internet. But we will soon be having very vertical specific generative AI. So AI models which are trained on industry specific data, for example, specific to the medical field, specific to financial services or specific to law, which creates a very high level of domain expertise and predictive power in those specific areas. And those solutions could actually be a lot more powerful within those industry verticals. Lastly, we probably can see 100 to 200 companies who have already been launched in the last year or so, and there's more coming. A lot of these are very application-specific companies plugging into a lot of the infrastructure that has already been created by the large generative AI platforms such as OpenAI, Microsoft, Google, etc. Now, obviously, this is all very exciting, but at the same time, this kind of technology evolution also brings in some risks and potential downsides. So, Mark, I wanted to ask you, what do you think are the major potential risks or pitfalls associated with using generative AI? What are the guardrails do you think we need to have in place? It's a great question, and I agree with that view of trying to have some guardrails around it. As I said, is doing things that people would have said you know, would have been impossible about a year ago. I agree with the way you laid out that this expansion across the four steps, but the technology is just moving so quickly, and you have something in the laboratory that is constantly updating itself, improving itself, tweaking its own algorithms. So because it's hard to project where that can go and how quickly, we are going to have to deal with some of these hurdles. I think companies are going to face different issues than consumers to some extent. So for a company, they're going to have to think through copyrights. Is any of the information that's being brought to us, is it somehow copyrighted, especially when it comes to image generation? They're going to have to think about whether it contains bias because these language models are informed by content that people produce and they have some inherent bias. Will it have hallucinations? That sounds a little crazy, but that's the term for if one of these AI models says something that is factually incorrect, and it absolutely does do that at times. The other thing is, as a company, let's say you have thousands of employees in your company, how are you going to stop them from entering proprietary corporate data or trade secrets or strategies into that system? I think for an individual, you might have to deal with some of those same issues because it has real limitations. Interestingly, Gokul, it's not very good with numbers. It knows what five times five is, but try multiplying together a couple of bigger numbers, say numbers that have six or seven digits. And it comes close, but interestingly, it does not give you the correct number. So I think ChatGPT can answer something like 70 to 80% of all questions correctly. Literally all questions you could possibly ask it on any topic. It could be world history or molecular biology or really anything. I think in the long run, that 70 or 80% is going to head towards 100% anyway. It raises a question, though, Gokul, because you mentioned how large these models can be. What is the kind of infrastructure that's required to run these algorithms? And is that going to lead to some type of incremental demand for new infrastructure and new hardware? I think AI infrastructure is clearly in focus today. These algorithms are really large. Every word you type typically gets runs through many layers of the transformer models using a lot of computing power. 
So typically, if you think about one training run for a large AI algorithm, just to train a large AI, large language model that runs into hundreds of billions of parameters, similar to, let's say, GPT-4, that could typically cost 20 to 30 million US dollars for one training run. And it could take several days to a few weeks to accomplish this task, even with a lot of expensive hardware. And there are multiple companies who are trying to do this at the same time, training their own large language models on their own specific set of data. So this is clearly leading to a lot of new kinds of computing demand. A lot of it is actually on the cloud. Given it's expensive, people want to provision this on the cloud rather than host a lot of this infrastructure on their own. And this is only on the training side of the equation. The next set of growth is probably going to come when these are deployed in real life applications. Like you earlier mentioned, Mark, the Microsoft Office Productivity Suite. The copilot that they have introduced using GPD in the Microsoft Office Suite, if that starts to see a lot of adoption, that will create order of magnitude higher demand for inference, which is basically using the AI from a user perspective to get useful results that could actually create a lot more demand for hardware so it's quite exciting from the hardware and semiconductor standpoint a lot of this runs on cutting edge semiconductor products developed by nvidia and other semiconductor companies our view is that this is the start of a new growth era for a lot of hardware and semiconductor companies in the next few years especially as some of these new applications move into deployments Mark, there has been a lot of discussion about jobs being displaced by generative AI. Could you talk a little bit about your perspective on this? Is it going to create more jobs? Could you also talk a little bit about which sectors are most at risk from being displaced by generative AI? I would say that our hope is we enter a period where you're going to have a very material productivity boost to the global economy. If you picture how this could play out, these systems are going to give us quicker answers to a huge array of questions. It'll help you write a better formula in Excel. It will improve any content that we're writing. It will help us learn. So we're optimistic on that. We do think along the way somewhere, it does have this potential to wipe out a very meaningful number of jobs. And we can't take that lightly. We saw a graphic from our friends at Sequoia, and that is predicting that by 2030, generative AI, it'll be able to produce a final draft of written material that's better than a professional writer. They think it'll produce final coded software that is better than what you get from a full-time developer, final drafts better than professional artists, professional designers, professional photographers. If you work in those fields, can you have a plan B? Can you find a way to make sure you're leveraging these technologies because you don't want to be replaced by them? We think it's worth putting some time into that thought process because we aren't completely sure how many of these bots are going to end up being the co-pilots and how many of them are going to end up being the pilots, if you will. So with that, if I step back, Gokul, I will just try to summarize here. Hopefully we have a little better understanding of the nuts and bolts of generative AI technologies. We have shared some examples of the huge promise and the potential and some of the breakthrough accomplishments. You talked about how it can transform 
the ways that we work and what the infrastructure is going to look like. We've talked about the risks and, and limitations. And I'm sure we would both agree that generative AI is something that is going to have to be used responsibly. It's going to have to be governed properly so that the end result is amplifying human potential instead of having it become too disruptive. Sure, Mark. I think you have summarized it quite nicely. Excellent. Well, thank you. And I really enjoyed this discussion. Thank you. I hope to do it again sometime soon. Likewise. Thanks for listening to Research Recap. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to JP Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read JP Morgan Research Reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2023, JP Morgan Chase & Co., all rights reserved.